Letter twelve of Clarissa or the History of a Young Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Gillam, Betty's Bledrus, Lampeter, Wales. Clarissa Harlowe by Samuel Richardson. Book one, letter twelve. Miss Howe to Miss Clarissa Harlowe, Thursday morning, March the second. Indeed, you would not be in love with him for the world, your servant, my dear, nor would I have you, for I think with all the advantages of person, fortune, and family, he is not by any means worthy of you, and this opinion I give as well from the reasons you mention, which I cannot but confirm. As from what I have heard of him, but a few hours ago, from Mrs. Fortescue, a favourite of Lady Betty Lawrence, who knows him well. But let me congratulate you, however, on your being the first of your sex, who ever I heard of, who has been able to turn that lion love into her own pleasure into a lap-dog. Well, but, if you have not the throbs and the glows, you have not, and are not in love. Good reason why? because you would not be in love, and there's no more to be said. Only, my dear, I shall keep a good look-out upon you, and so I hope you will upon yourself, for it is no manner of argument that because you would not be in love, you therefore are not. But before I part entirely with this subject, a word in your ear, my charming friend. It is only by way of caution and in pursuance of the general observation that a stander-by is often a better judge of a game than those at play. May it not be that you have had, and have, such cross-creatures and such odd eds to deal with, as have not allowed you to attend to the throbs, or if you had them a little now and then, whether having had two accounts to place them to, you have not, by mistake, put them to the wrong one. But whether you have a value for Lovelace or not, I know you'll be impatient to hear what Mrs. Fortescue has said of him, nor will I keep you longer in suspense. A hundred wild stories she tells of him from childhood to manhood, for, as she observed, having never been subject to contradiction, he was always as mischievous as a monkey. But shall I pass over these whole hundred of his puerile rogueries? though indicative ones, as I may say, to take notice as well of some things you are not quite ignorant of, as of others you know not, and to make a few observations upon him and his ways. Mrs. Fortescue owns, what everybody knows, that he is notoriously, nay avowedly, a man of pleasure, yet says that in anything he sets his heart upon or undertakes he is the most industrious and persevering mortal under the sun. He rests, it seems, not above six hours in the twenty-four, any more than you. He delights in writing. Whether at Lord M.'s, or at Lady Betty's, or Lady Sarah's, he has always a pen in his fingers when he retires. One of his companions, confirming his love of writing, has told her that his thoughts flow rapidly to his pen, and you and I, my dear, have observed on more occasions than one, that though he writes an even a fine hand, he is one of the readiest and quickest of writers. 
He must indeed have had early a very docile genius, since a person of his pleasurable turn and active spirit could never have submitted to take long or great pains in attaining the qualifications he is master of, qualifications so seldom attained by youth of quality and fortune, by such especially of those either who, like him, have never known what it is to be controlled. He had, once it seems, the vanity, upon being complimented on these talents, and on his surprising diligence for a man of pleasure, to compare himself to Julius Caesar, who performed great actions by day, and wrote them down at night, and valued himself that he only wanted Caesar's outsetting to make a figure among his contemporaries. He spoke of this, indeed, she says, with an air of pleasantry, for she observed, and so have we, that he has the art of acknowledging his vanity with so much humour that it sets him above the contempt which is due to vanity and self-opinion, and at the same time half persuades those who hear him that he really deserves the exultation he gives himself. But supposing it to be true that all his vacant nightly hours are employed in writing, what can be his subjects? If, like Caesar, his own actions, he must undoubtedly be a very enterprising and very wicked man, since nobody expects him to have a serious turn, and decent as he is in his conversation with us, his writings are not, probably, such as would redound either to his own honour or to the benefit of others were they to be read. He must be conscious of this, since Mrs. Fortescue says, that in the great correspondence by letters which he holds, he is as secret and as careful as if it were of a treasonable nature. Yet troubles not his head with politics, though nobody knows the interests of princes and courts better than he is said to do. That you and I, my dear, should love to write is no wonder. We have always, from the time each could hold a pen, delighted in epistolary correspondencies. Our employments are domestic and sedentary, and we can scribble upon twenty innocent subjects, and take delight in them, because they are innocent, though were they to be seen, they might not profit or please others. But that such a gay, lively young fellow as this, who rides, hunts, travels, frequents the public entertainments, and has means to pursue his pleasures, should be able to set himself to the right for hours together, as you and I have heard him say he frequently does, that is a strange thing. Mrs. Fortescue says that he is a complete master of shorthand writing. By the way, what inducements could a swift writer as he have to learn shorthand? She says, and we know it as well as she, that he has surprising memory and a very lively imagination. Whatever his other vices are, all the world, as well as Mrs. Fortescue says, he is a sober man, and among all his bad qualities, Gaming, that great waster of time as well as fortune, is not his vice, so that he must have his head as cool and his reason as clear as the prime of youth and his natural gaiety will permit, and by his early morning hours a great portion of time upon his hands to employ in writing, or worse. Mrs. Fortescue says he has one gentleman who is more is intimate and correspondent than any of the rest. You remember what his dismissed bailiff said of him and his associates. I don't find but that Mrs. Fortescue confirms this part of it, that all his relations are afraid of him, 
and that his pride sets him above owning obligations to them. She believes he is clear of the world, and that he will continue so. No doubt from the same motive that makes him avoid being obliged to his relations. A person willing to think favourably of him would hope that a brave, a learned, and a diligent man could not be naturally a bad man. But if he be better than his enemies say he is, and if worse he is bad as indeed, he is guilty of inexcusable fault in being so careless as he is of his reputation. I think a man can be so, but from one of these two reasons. Either that he is conscious he deserves the ill spoken of him, or that he takes a pride in being thought worse than he is, both very bad and threatening indications, since the first must show him to be utterly abandoned, and it is but natural to conclude from the other that what a man is not ashamed to have imputed to him, he will not scruple to be guilty of whenever he has an opportunity. Upon the whole, and upon all, I could gather from Mrs. Fortescue, Mr. Lovelace is a very faulty man. You and I have thought him too gay, too inconsiderate, too rash, too little hypocrite, to be deep. You see, he would never disguise his natural temper, haughty as it certainly is, with respect to your brother's behaviour to him. Where he think a contempt is due, he pays it to the uttermost. Nor has he complacence enough to spare your uncle's. But where he deep, and ever so deep, you would soon penetrate him, if they would leave you to yourself. His vanity would be your clue. Never man had more. Yet, as Mrs. Fortescue observed, never did man carry it off so happily. There is a strange mixture in it of humorous vivacity, since, but for one half of what he says of himself when he is in the vein, any other man would be insufferable. Talk of the devil, is an old saying. The lively wretch has made me a visit, and is but just gone away. His all impatience and resentment at the treatment you meet with, and full of apprehensions too, that they will carry their point with you. I told him, in my opinion, that you will never be brought to think of such a man as Soames, but that it will probably end in a composition never to have either. No man, he said, whose fortunes and alliances are so considerable, ever had so little favour from a woman for whose sake he had borne so much. I told him my mind as freely as I used to, but whoever was in fault, myself being judge. He complained of spies set upon his conduct, and to pry into his life and morals, and this by your brother and uncles. I told him that this was very hard upon him, and the more so, as neither his life nor morals perhaps would stand a fair inquiry. He smiled, and called himself my servant. The occasion was too fair, he said, for Miss Howe, who never spared him to let it pass. But Lord help! the shallow souls of the Harlows. Would I believe it? They were for turning plotters upon him. They had best take care he did not pay them in their own coin. Their hearts were better turned for such works than their heads. I asked him if he valued himself upon having a head better turned than theirs for such works as he called them. He drew off, and then ran into the highest professions of reverence and affection for you. The object so meritorious 
who can doubt the reality of his professions? Adieu, my dearest, my noble friend. I love and admire you for the generous conclusion of your last more than I can express, though I began this letter with impertinent raillery, knowing that you always loved to indulge my mad vein. Yet never was there a heart that more glowed with friendly love than that of your own Anna Howe. End of Letter 12